So I'm going to start a new sermon series today. Uh, we're going to be teaching through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And, and I want to encourage you to be reading Colossians during the week as we do this over the next few weeks. And uh, uh, it's more fun to read together. So uh, I want to encourage you, if, if you'd like to, to join the reading plan on the Version Bible app. A number of people are going to use that one. It's called Colossians Alive in Christ. And, and it's a, I think it's like a four-week series, something like that, that will take you through the book of Colossians. So you might want to check that out. It's the Version Bible app if you don't already have it. It's a great app just for using for reading the Bible every day. But if you're on it um, and you sign up for it, I think then there's a way you can communicate with each other and talk about what you're reading on that app. So it might be kind of fun. So anyways, Colossae was a small city located in what the New Testament calls Asia. And we know today is Turkey. You can see it there. It's the kind of the bottom right red dot on that map is Colossae. Uh, That's the Mediterranean Sea off to the left there. Um, about the year 52, the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus, which should be, that's the green dot, lowest green dot right on the coast. Uh, that's Ephesus. He went there. That was a major city on the Mediterranean coast, and he planted a church there, and then uh, Paul stayed and taught in Ephesus for a little over two years. Acts 19 tells that story, and it says that while Paul was teaching in Ephesus, people came from all over Asia to hear him, and some of them became followers of Jesus. Well, one of those people was a man from Colossae named Epaphras, and Epaphras then went back to his hometown, which about 100 miles from Ephesus. He told his friends and his families all this good news that he'd heard from Paul, and some of them became followers of Jesus too, and they they became a new church there in Colossae uh, under the leadership of Epaphras, most likely meeting in his home. Now, Epaphras also went to two nearby towns. This is in the Lycus River Valley in that area. There were towns along the river. So he went to Laodicea, which you read about later in Revelation, and another town called Hierapolis, and he planted churches there as well. So there's a little cluster of churches in that region, all from Epaphras hearing Paul in Ephesus. So then sometime later, we're not quite sure when, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. Yeah, Paul was in prison when we wrote it. We know that he might have been in prison in Ephesus, which would have been just a year or two after the church began, or it could have been as much as seven or eight years later when Paul was in prison in Rome. But either way, Paul had actually never been to Colossae. He'd never been to that church. But Epaphras had kept him posted about how things were going there, both what was going well and about some problems that were developing. And this letter was a response to those updates that Epaphras was sending him. So in Colossians 2, 6 to 7, Paul writes this. It says, So then, just as you have received Christ as Lord Continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. That's our theme verse for this series. And it's what I'm praying God would do in us as we listen to what he has to say to us through this letter over the next six or seven weeks. And we're going to call the series uh, based on this uh, 
verse here, rooted in Jesus. So um, should we pray? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us through your scriptures, Lord. Speak to us through this letter that Paul wrote so long ago and uh, make it life to us, Lord. Let it speak into our lives and, and uh, continue that work of, of change in us, of transformation that we might become those people who are rooted and established and built up in you and overflowing with gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, start with Colossians 1, 1 to 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul begins this letter uh, by blessing the believers in Colossae with grace and peace. Now, that was actually just really kind of a standard letter opener, opening line uh, in those days in the Roman Empire. But God is a master at taking what is ordinary and making it extraordinary, right? Filling it with his life. One of our convictions is that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed, in other words. Paul wrote these ordinary words just in an ordinary letter to this small church in a small city, but the Holy Spirit took Paul's words and he made them extraordinary by breathing his life into them so that they are life-giving to us. Amen? Yeah. And grace and peace is a great way to start listening to what God wants to say to us in Colossians. God wants you to know that you are awash in his grace. You're awash in it. You're flooded with it. You're saturated with the favor of God. God has done everything needed to open the door for all of God's grace, all of God's favor, all of God's blessing to fill your life now and forever. And where all that grace will lead you to is peace. Not just the absence of, of conflict and not just the absence of anxiety, as good as that is, but to the Hebrew idea of peace, which is shalom, the overflowing, never-ending life and love of God filling your life. That's what God has for you. That's the peace that Jesus died and rose again to give to you. So as you hear those words, receive them. This is a gift to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father. And then we'll read on. Starting in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and, continue, and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's told us about your love in the Spirit. Paul wrote this letter 
at least partly to address some challenges going on in that church in Colossae. Some newcomers had shown up there and started telling the people that the gospel of Jesus, which Epaphras had taught them, was not the whole story. They told people that if you really wanted to be spiritual, you know, if you really wanted fullness of life and spiritual wisdom and power, there was more to learn. There were secret mysteries that only certain people were privileged to understand. And these newcomers were inviting the Colossians to be a part of that elite group. It's a very seductive message, isn't it? It's like you can be on the inside. Well, that was a very early form of what would eventually become known as Gnosticism. That name comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, and it refers to the the secret knowledge they claim to possess. Within a hundred years or so, Gnosticism would develop into this full-blown religion, or really you could say a cluster of religions, a collection of religions, because they're all different forms and varieties of, of Gnosticism. But all of them had very complicated and elaborate belief systems, and at their core, they all agreed on two fundamental things which were already being taught there at the beginning uh, to these newcomers in Colossae. First, the idea that there's this secret knowledge that you need to be taught if you want to become truly spiritual and want to become one of those special, elite people. Second, that the natural physical body, or world, I should say, the natural physical world and our physical bodies in them, uh, and therefore our ordinary lives as well, are all part of an evil creation. Only your inner spiritual being was really good or important. And your ordinary, everyday life was therefore at best irrelevant and probably a hindrance to your true spirituality. Now, there are still some Gnostic communities in the world today, but the greatest and the most harmful impact of Gnosticism has come from the ways that it has wormed its ideas into Christian thinking, despite the fact that books like Colossians and other New Testament uh, letters were written specifically to warn us against that. Yeah, it is so easy for us to think You know, that if I could just read this particular book I heard about or go to this Christian conference or find the right church uh, or listen to the right speaker, it's going to unlock the secret of Christianity for me and I will be changed forever. Amen, yeah. It's the idea that there is a secret out there somewhere that I need to discover, I need to know. It plays on the voice uh, that tells me, that voice within us that tells us I'm not enough. You know, I'm missing out somehow. And it is also so easy to think that, you know, if I just didn't have to work at a job all day, or if I just didn't have so much stuff to do at home, laundry and cooking and kids and spouses, or how many spouses do you have? But spouses, (laughs) right? Right, you know, (laughs) All this ordinary life stuff, you know, if I could just escape all of that and spend all of my time praying and reading the Bible, then I would be the person God wants me to be, right? 
Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope stored up for you in heaven. There is so much packed into that verse. First of all, Paul is affirming that the God of all things is the Father of Jesus. God the Father is Father of God the Son. And God the Son became human like us. Because God loves us, he loves our humanity. He loves even our physical bodies so much that he came and got one himself, right? God loves all of his creation, his physical creation. What did God say when he made it all? It's good, right? It's good. God loves his creation so much, and he is so convinced of the goodness of his creation that he became a part of it. Our faith is in Christ Jesus, in the Messiah Jesus is another way to say that. In other words, our faith is in our God who became human to deliver us from sin and death, not to deliver us from the physical world. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven. That does not mean that one day we will escape this physical world and escape our physical bodies and go to this purely spiritual heaven. That is a Gnostic idea, not a Christian one. The Bible tells us that one day heaven will merge with earth. And when that happens, we will be physically raised from the dead just like Jesus was and all of creation will be made new. That hope is stored up for us. It's waiting for us in heaven, waiting to be delivered to earth. It's resurrection. It's new creation. Amen? It's a really, really good hope. And because we have that hope for the future, we can live a life of love today. That's what it means to be truly spiritual. Not having some secret knowledge, You're not trying to escape the ordinariness of life, but rather joining with God in making the ordinary extraordinary for others, simply by loving those around us in very practical ways. Faith, hope, and love. Faith in Jesus. Hope in the resurrection. Love for all the saints, it says in the verse, but knowing all that Jesus taught, we really know it's love for everyone. This is a call. This is an invitation. This is a challenge, in fact, to live a life of faith, hope, and love. I am really grateful for the teachers that I listened to back when I was in my 20s. I was just, you know, catching a vision for having a life in ministry back then. And they said that if you succeed in ministry but lose your family in the process, in God's eyes, that's a failure. There's a mindset that says that if I am doing God's work, you know, if I, I, I am doing what God, you know, God's mission, God's ministry out there, well, then nothing else matters. You know, if I have to be away from my kids all the time or not have time or energy to invest in my wife, 
well, they should just recognize how spiritual I am, right? How's that work for you? They should just recognize how important God's work is and support me. Well, I easily could have fallen into that. In fact, I'm sure there were times when I probably did. But that is that Gnostic influence that Paul is warning us against. What matters most, what proves our spirituality, is how well we love those around us. And that's true for all of us. Your faith in Jesus, your involvement in the church is not meant to take you out of everyday life. You, we are, you should not, we should not be less involved in work or family or our neighborhoods or our cities because we're followers of Jesus. If anything, we should be more involved, right? Uh, we're the people of God. Ordinary life out in the world doesn't detract from our spirituality. It's where we live it out. It's where we put into practice living for the sake of others. And we can live like that because our hope isn't in how much we accumulate. Our hope isn't in how great or successful we can become. Our hope isn't in how comfortable or how safe we can make our lives. Our hope is in the resurrection. So we gather as believers in the church. We worship God. We allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. We follow Jesus together, and we follow him out into the world to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Paul told the Colossians, you've already heard all of this. You've already heard about faith, hope, and love. It's the gospel you've heard. And that good news is at work in you. It's at work in the world. It's bearing fruit. It's transforming your lives so that you can live a life of faith, hope, and love. So don't listen to those other voices that tell you you're missing out or that tell you you're not spiritual enough, or that tell you that you, you don't have enough, or that you're not enough. Don't listen to those seductive lies. Listen to Jesus. Listen to his gospel, and live a life of faith, hope, and love. Amen. Starting in verse uh, 9, actually. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Paul uses run-on sentences a lot. Yeah, he gets really excited when he writes. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And if you, you can hear it in there, once you realize who, what Paul's responding to, he's making little digs at these Gnostic teachers all through this letter, saying, you know, saying, yeah, well, whatever. Um, a few years ago, Lisa and I were at a conference, uh, a vineyard conference for pastors, and Phil Strout was speaking. He was the Vineyard USA National Director at the time. 
And Phil talked about how so many people had been coming to him lately and asking, you know, what's the new word God has for us? What's the, the new thing that God has for us? What's the new thing that God's going to be doing? And he said it started to bug him. Um, uh, he wasn't sure at first why it bugged him because sometimes God does have new words for us, right? Sometimes he does have new things he wants us to do. But as he, he prayed about it, God showed him that there was something unhealthy in the attitude underlying those questions. And I'd say it's that hint of Gnosticism. The idea that there always has to be something new and exciting and more, right? New and exciting and more. Some new secret that needs to be uncovered. How about if instead of always looking for that new thing, we just focus on actually living out what God has already shown us? There's an idea. Faith in Jesus, hope in the resurrection, love for one another and all people. That's what I hear Paul saying in this passage. We've already been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. We've already been redeemed by God's love. We've already been forgiven for our sins. The death and the resurrection of Jesus has accomplished all of that. So live it out. Just live it out. Live a life of faith, hope, and love. Those newcomers to Colossae were offering special wisdom and and spiritual understanding, deep spiritual understanding, they said. And Paul says, yeah, I want you to be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding too. I want you to grow in that. But the seed for that has already been planted in you. You don't have to go out looking for it. You don't need to go looking for another secret. Just have faith in Jesus. Trust in his love. Trust in his goodness. Trust that he's with you in all things, all of the time. Put your hope in the resurrection. That will change the way you see the world. It'll change the way you see your life. It'll set you free to love others the way Jesus does. That is how you will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And you'll be doing that in the midst of your ordinary, everyday life. That's where God's working. And that's why you'll also need great endurance and patience, right? (laughs) Faith in Jesus, hope in the resurrection, and loving one another. Faith, hope, and love in your everyday, ordinary life is what makes the ordinary extraordinary. So live a life of faith, hope, and love. Our theme verse for this series says, so then, just as you you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. How do we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Grace, right? By grace. It's a gift. So how do we continue to live in him? Same way, Paul said, grace, it's a gift. It's all grace. It's all a gift from our God who loves us. So let's just be quiet before God for a moment. Just kind of open ourselves to his presence.
the grace of God is here for you right now. And just maybe even open your hands to receive his grace. You're awash in his grace. That invitation to receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that's not a call to get your act together or start towing the line better. It's an offer from the author of life to fill you with his life and lead you into fullness of life, right? Lord, we just receive you again this morning. We receive all that you have for us. Come, Lord Jesus. Let your life flow into each and every one of us. Receive God's grace. Received Christ Jesus as Lord. Received the grace to keep on living in Jesus. Received the grace to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Amen? Amen.